I'm Whitney. I'm Mindy. And I'm Deb. We're three best friends who love nerdy things. Well, some people think we're nerdy, but we think we're pretty awesome. This is our nerdiest thing. This season, we are discussing A Court of Thorns and Roses and all of Sarah J. Mass's books. We are spoiler-friendly, so listen at your own risk. Hello, fellow nerds. Welcome to today's episode. We are talking about chapters 15, 16, and 17 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I am really excited to talk about these chapters today. But before we get into it, Mindy, would you give us some of our nerdiest vocabulary? I would love to do that. This week, there really wasn't much to like pronounce. So I kind of went back to the Naga that we ended on the last chapter with, and I wanted to find out a little bit more about them, and I did a little bit of etymology for that. The Naga are in a lot of particularly Asian mythology, but in Sanskrit, Naga is the word for cobra. And we see in these chapters that the Naga are part like humanoid and part serpentine. So that's the same as it is in mythology. So they're usually described in this mythology as in three forms. So one is the half human and half serpents, which we see here that Pharaoh battles. The other one is like a, a human that's got entirely got snakes on their head or their neck, which of course reminds me of Medusa. And then the third one is just like a full serpent. And the cool thing I found out and that connects with all things nerdy is that a female Naga in this mythology is called a Nagi or a Nagini. Anyone else remember where that's from? I was just thinking about Voldemort <laughs> as, you, as you were talking about serpent stuff. Yes. So that reminded me, that form reminded me of Nagini and Harry Potter. And because it's full on a serpent. I was actually picturing Voldemort while we were reading about the Naga. Ooh. Which I thought was really weird. But now I think I'm a genius. So. I think you are too. <laughs> All right, let's do our nerdiest recap. Deb, will you draw a name, please? I really hope it's me. I really don't want to. (laughs) I want to redeem myself from the really horrible summary I did a couple of weeks ago. It says Whitney. (laughs) (laughs) Hey-oh. Okay, so Feyre frees the cereal. Cereal pieces out, fights the Naga. Hollers for Lucian. Lucian's a no-show. Tamlin shows up, kills two of the Naga, because Feyre killed two of the Naga already. And she's basically like, hey, thanks for saving my life. And he's like, could you just stay at the house? That would be great. And then she and Alice have a big conversation about how Tamlin's the only one that could fight the blight. And then she has dinner with Lucian and Tamlin where they tell her, yeah, we can absolutely lie to you. And then she has a... 30 seconds is up. (laughs) One and a half chapters. Hey, that was better than last time. <laughs> it was a little bit of a redemption. But oh, wait. Not no, really. Wit thought that we got 30 seconds per chapter. <laughs> That's what it was. It just goes by really fast. It does. It definitely does. All of you at home, you've never tried it, so shut up. <laughs> so let's just go through it scene by scene. So let's talk about the Naga first so because that's the first thing that happens so Farah and the Surreal have been talking we ended last week at the end of chapter 14 where the Surreal is getting ready to kind of spill all the tea about the blight but then they get interrupted by the Naga um, so basically Farah frees the Surreal so the Surreal 
cannot die at the hands of the Naga. And she fights the Naga pretty much by herself until Tamlin shows up. So... I mean, she killed half of them. I know. And he, she got the other two tired for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As and she, human. like, got them all around her, so it was easier to, like, they were all right there. Um, Where the fuck was Lucian? I know. I know that. I never noticed that in all my rereads. I thought that, I really thought Lucian was the one that came and rescued her. I I'd remembered forgotten. that Tamlin did, but somehow I had thought that Lucian showed up at the very end. After Tamlin shows up. No, he just like, he smiles at her at dinner and he's like, sorry. He wasn't there at all. Well, I, I did know. not realize that. And she was even saying, like, if I ran, maybe I'd find Lucian. But if Tamla hadn't showed up, she never would have. Like, Do you think he wanted her to die? I absolutely think oh, he for wanted sure. her to die. Yeah. I think that he... Well, I mean, he obviously wanted her to find the cereal, right? Because he gave her all the information to trap the cereal. So did I would he, be, though? Because Alice says... Bitch, please. You could have just given him a robe and he would have been like... Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> but I wonder if he if he was hoping that the Surreal would tell her everything. Because the Surreal doesn't belong to any court. So he, he wouldn't be under the restrictions of the curse like everybody sure. else's. So I wonder if Lucian thought, if he can tell her everything, that will somehow help? Question mark? Or that will somehow get rid of her? Because he definitely seems to want her to not be around, whether that's by being dead or just like running away. And I'm like, I don't understand the goal of that. Why why would he want that? Well, because he thinks she's a distraction. So I think he feels like in Lucian okay, so like, you know how when somebody gets it in their mind and it's like the one track in his mind, Tamlin needs to be thinking about other things and not and that she's too much of a distraction so he's and so he's got his blinders on he's got his blinders on and he can't um think of anything else so i think that's sort of where i feel lucian is not that i think it's right at all but i think he's just kind of dumb about it like he just like he can't get that out of his head well tamlin's really distracted from all the other humans that killed a fae and can save them from the blight that's my thing it's like he sees her as, i think he, you're right that he does see her as a distraction but i don't understand that because he should be seeing her as like the obi-wan kenobi like you're our only hope you know bringing another nerd reference in there <laughs> that's okay we'll talk more about star wars later <laughs> I don't understand why he doesn't see her as like the one thread of hope that they have. See, I feel like Lucian thinks that they can fix it some other way. I think. Well, that's true. I really do feel like in his heart, he thinks that that's, that's not the only way that they can fix the situation. She even mentions it again. in in these three chapters that he is told Tamlin to like rise up and essentially fight. So, I mean, I think Lucian realizes that they're kind of screwed. And so he's like, well, we might as well like stick up for ourselves. And Tamlin's like, nah, (laughs) (laughs) it's cool. Nah, bro. No, thank you. That kind of brings me to a major theme that I'm going to have today. And I know this is going to be... Is it? Nah. (laughs) It's going to be controversial and it's going to be like a hot take. But I have a lot of really positive things to say about Tamlin. (laughs) I'm just glaring at her already making faces at me. I'm like, who are you? See, but here's the thing. I think that I described myself as a Tamlin apologist, which is really not accurate. I am not somebody... She wants to fuck Tamlin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no (laughs) but i'm not like i don't necessarily think that he needs to have a redemption i don't think that he like deserves a happy ending or anything 
But I do want to point out the positive aspects of Tamlin so that he is seen more as a full, well-rounded character and not just like the villain, because I think that's only a piece of who he is. For the record, he he is a good character right now. I don't really dislike him until... A couple of weeks from now. <laughs> um, and I, I, and you know, I was talking to Whitney before this episode. This is the part of the book where I actually started flipping forward because I don't want to stop reading. But if I don't stop reading, I'm not going to be good at the 30 second recap. <laughs> Get confused. <laughs> um, and I have a lot of things on my TBR that, that haven't been read yet. And so, like, at this point in the book, I do like Tamlin. I think he does and I think a lot you of nice should. things. I mean, I yeah. think that's the yeah. whole point. In this whole book, you're supposed to kind of see him as. The The good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in this, a couple of things in this scene with the Naga that I noticed about Tamlin. So first of all, Tamlin, you know, basically saves the day. Feyre kills two of the Naga, but I don't think that she would have survived the other two. Like she ran, they broke her bow or she ran out of arrows. Did she she broke her, they broke her bow. They broke her bow. Yeah. Does she, when it says she swings her bow at one of them, does she just like, hit it and it falls or did she like cut its head off i feel like she stabbed it in I the feel head like, or something i feel like she stabbed him in the neck that's what i yeah that's i think so yeah. Fair, you badass <laughs> so when tamlin is there i wrote down like the first time anyone has defended her question mark because we've talked a lot about how she is defending her family when tamlin shows up at her cabin and he is here defending her like lucian didn't show up for her no one in the summer or summer court nobody in the spring court <laughs> that she doesn't even realize is there yet they're not really doing anything to protect her <laughs> which we talked about this a million times was there just someone in the trees eating popcorn right? watching all like, this happen nobody they're like hey watch this human's about to get fucked up yeah, come like, over here what a dum-dum but <laughs> i said the f word and you say dum-dum <laughs> sure i've said Sir. the f word in three times in five minutes too, Sorry, you different, dumb, dumb. different personalities <laughs> i love you wit you bring out the good in us uh, but i thought that was an important point right like if i think this is the first time that anybody has defended her in in this way at least not just with like words I mean, you he's know also defending the spring court because right. he was already fighting them but yes he definitely saves her and yeah. defends her i mean yeah he didn't have to and She thinks to herself, I wanted to tell him how much that meant that the high lord of the spring court thought I was worth saving, but couldn't find the words. I highlighted that too. I mean, how sad. She doesn't even have any kind of like value of her humanity, like no intrinsic value of just being a living being that she would wouldn't deserve to be saved. Well, she also thinks that the fairies think that they're nothing. And and she's been talking about how insignificant she feels. And so he's been telling her that she, well, yeah. So yeah, but he never says that outright. He says, um, a few chapters back, he said something about, um, like you can wander around the grounds. I really don't care what you do with your time. Like you're not significant enough for me to worry about yeah, what that, you're doing. I do remember that. But most of the times that she talks about it, she's she's sort of coming up with that on her own. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know because Lucian continuously tells her she should die. Well, they yeah, pretty pretty much, yeah, Lucian's a different right, story. They pretty much ignore her. Tamlin, that wasn't the only time he's told her she's insignificant. They yeah. kidnapped her from her home. I mean, and she has pretty low self-esteem yes right so so. you take someone who's been beaten down for years and years and 
like, of course they don't know how to thank someone for anything because she's yeah. had to do everything herself, right? Yeah. I do want to add real quick, I did just look back in my notes, and yes, she does stab one naga in the neck but she also clotheslines one with her bow and that's what i was thinking of and i wrote in exclamation points in my notes she clotheslined him because i thought that was hilarious it was very um you know wwe i do not watch that shit for the record no offense to anyone who does um before we move on from the naga there was something i wanted i wrote in my notes unpack this um at the very end of that chapter she says, you know, she's basically thinking about how powerful Tamlin is, that he was able to come in and defeat the Naga with, like, barely breaking a sweat, essentially. And he tells her, too, I think in the same chapter, that he had been, like, killing a whole pack of them, and these yes. four were the ones that got away. And so she says, he killed all these these fairies. He protected me. He protected his lands. But I didn't sense any, any kind of triumph or victory in him. I sensed an, un, a deep unending shame and defeat. So I wrote down, unpack this and oh, let me flip my notes I, real I quick. Totally, we were on the same wavelength. Cause I definitely highlighted that too. Well, so I was like, okay, so why, why does he sense, why does she sense shame and defeat? And I wrote down all these different reasons and I'm just going to read them. Um, some of this information, we I'm just inferring and some of this is stuff that I like double checked by reading ahead in um, the under the mountain section so first of all he feels shame because he is the only reason that she's in danger at all he is I think ashamed that he is putting her in danger by bringing her to the spring court to save himself and to save Brithian. He feels ashamed that she is in danger for the sake of the greater good of saving everybody else. I think that he feels shame because he can't keep her safe on his own lands. I think he feels shame because of Amarantha and the fact that Amarantha has interest in him at all, which is why this curse happened because he rejected her. He feels shame because of his father's history and his spring court's history with Amarantha and their history with how they treated the humans. I think he feels um, shame because he blames himself for Lucian's eye, which is something Amarantha did for rejecting Amarantha, for incurring her wrath, for bringing this on everybody, for the deaths of his men. Like he feels like all of that is his fault. He feels defeated because if Amarantha doesn't kill Feyre, something else like the Naga will. Um, I think he feels defeated because he feels like, how could Feyre love me when I can't even protect her? And I think he feels defeated because even if he is successful with making Feyre fall in love with him and breaking this curse, what kind of future could they have when she finds out about the curse and about how that's his only motivation? And I think that that's a ton of stuff that's just like sitting in his brain that she has no idea about any of that yet. Well, but she does, she does like mention a few times in chapters that we were before and in this chapter that, um, she sees that weight on his shoulders. Like she can visibly see, like, I think it's the end of the last chapter that we read, um, where she says, I can just, she watches him walk away and she says, I can see the weight of everything on him. So I'm glaring at you across the table again. <laughs> Two things to add. He can feel shame about her being there and he blames it on the treaty, but she does not have to be there. No one's going to come after her and say, you broke the treaty because only Lucian and Tamlin know that she broke the treaty. Period. So she doesn't have to be there. Right. And 100% 
his only motivation is breaking the curse. So I don't understand how he would feel shame about that because that is the only reason he's doing this. I think that he is, and this is something I'm going to talk about a little bit later in this section too, but I think this is the section of the book where he really starts to see her as an actual person and as a person that he, he could fall in love with and not just as a tool to break this curse. I think up until mostly up until this point, he is seeing her as you fit the criteria. We could, we could actually do this because you're checking those boxes. But at this section, he starts to see her as a, whole person sure and he feels badly about how he's using her but he's got to because what else is he supposed to do do you you know he feels a little shameful too and i mean more like hurt pride i guess but that she as a human is the one that can save them and he he as a fairy who's supposed to be all powerful and they're supposed to be insignificant and like lowly and so i mean i think that would probably bring a little shame on him too that he he has to rely on a human to fix this a human woman (laughs) i think yeah i think that his entire world view is being turned upside down turned upside down yeah by meeting pharaoh because you know we talked about this i think last week but his dad hated humans Mm -hmm. and his dad fought with amarantha and hibern within that war so who knows what his dad was what he was learning about humans growing up with that as his dad and his older brothers being like talked about how horrible they were um and i think that he thought that humans were like stupid or worthless and significant all that stuff that Feyre thinks about herself and she is showing him that everything that his yeah everything his family taught him was not correct well she and, and they're showing her the same thing because exactly. she even mentions um oh my gosh they're actually kind of like the children of the blessed what told they say. what they say yeah. yeah before we move on from the naga to i have a couple of question marks from her interaction with them before tamlin even shows up so when she first encounters them they say something like oh the dark mother has sent us a gift i mean is that someone i don't think it's amarantha i think it's the it like the, creator of the, the cauldron world. lady yeah okay like, do they call her the mother i it, thought that they did who we still don't know who that is yeah and i i still contend that it's bryce but <laughs> I think I think it's just their like their version of the creator of okay. the universe. I thought so, but it just seemed very odd that. that 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 they would kind of. I mean, again, we know that Sarah J. Mass doesn't do anything on accident. I just thought it was very odd the way that they were like the Dark Mother sent us a gift, and then the other thing is, Favor frees the cereal, and then they surround her. The Naga surround her, and they go, "Do you know what you have cost us?" I wrote that down too. I wrote I'm that so down, curious. Like, and I said, is this a reference to the surreal or something else? Right. Like, yeah. uh, like they cost their meal or uh, what? I don't know. I, di- I didn't really come up with any answers to that. I don't know if the surreal would have been Amarantha sending them. Correct. Is that I the thing? So. Is that what we think? I don't know if she is sending them or if they feel more free to roam around because they know that all the high Lords, have had pretty much all their power taken away. And so there's not going to be the same level of consequence. See, I always thought that Amarantha was sending most of these beings. Maybe. To like mess with Tamlin. That would make sense because he's the only one not under the mountain, right? Because of this curse. Right. And something is said later that makes me 
think, oh, I know what it is. We'll talk more about that nightmare that she has in a few minutes and in, in one of the following chapters. But there's a part of me that thinks that Amarantha knows that she's there and is trying to figure out who she is. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I'm like, And yeah. so she could be the dark mother, yeah. like sending these creatures there because yeah, that's true. she might, Amarantha, if she does have spies or whatever, might see what's happening and be like, oh, crap. I was kind of on that path too, if thinking are these years clues. And 10 months. <laughs> I don't think, and see, I did read ahead a little bit. And so now I'm thinking that what I'm about to say is like the next section or something. But there's a point where the adder shows up and Farah is hiding like in the garden and yeah. she's listening to the conversation, not understanding it. And I'm pretty sure that the adder and probably not saying that right. You can tell me when we get there <laughs> for the vocabulary. I haven't researched that one. Yet. I know. Right. Um, he basically says like, she's starting to get suspicious because you haven't surrendered yet. And that makes me think that she doesn't actually know that there's anybody there because I think if she did, if Amarantha knew that Feyre was there, a human girl, that she would send people to take her. See, you know I, what I mean? I read that as she's suspicious that something's starting between you two. I didn't read ahead for your information, but I, I do remember that part. I skimmed ahead <laughs> because I also wanted to remember when Tamlin and Feyre get it on and also read ahead and wrote, Holy crap, resand in my notes. Yeah. One thing I'd like to to bring up about this part in the next two chapters, we notice it too. We've slowly started to realize that Feyre finds Tamlin attractive. Whenever he gives her his tunic because hers has been ripped down the front. I don't know if you guys noticed yeah. that. I'm like, really? It couldn't rip down the side or on the back. Your your boobs are just hanging out. I'm like, okay. The, the um, sexiest and, place to get, and, <laughs> to get torn and, tunic. And I think any man that walked up and someone's tits are hanging out, he would have died because the Naga would have killed him because he would have been so distracted. Um, so she said, I pulled Tamlin's tunic over my own, ignoring how easily I could see the cut of his muscles beneath his white shirt the way the blood soaking it made them stand out even more and I wrote ooh you think Tamlin's hot (laughs) (laughs) she really does I mean he sounds pretty hot to me well she's been talking about his gorgeous face and all that you know but or, or his jawline, yeah. yeah, right. And it's not like Sarah J. Mass put him in like a puke green mask. She put him in gold, gold. right? Right. So then, in the next part, the chapter sixteen, she has this conversation with Alice, um, and then has dinner with Lucian and Tamlin. And then the conversation with Alice. Really, the only thing that I kind of clocked in that was Alice saying, you know, Lord Tamlin is the only one who can deal with this blight. Like, Mm -hmm. don't worry about it. Don't ask about it. Don't talk about it. Right. And I thought that's so interesting the way that she said that, because as a reader, when you're reading this for the first time, it comes across the same way it comes across to Feyre as like, he is just that powerful. He is just that strong. He is just that awesome. And I'm like, actually, no, he's not the only one that can take care of it because he is just that great. It's that is how Amarantha set it up. Right. And actually it isn't Tamlin at all. It's Feyre. Yeah. So I like reading that with this, with the perspective of knowing what's going to happen is like, that's one of those writing strategies that she used to kind of bring us in to Tamlin's side. Like he's so powerful. He's so strong. And it's like, actually, no, you are that powerful. You are that strong. And you just don't realize it yet, which is a theme for Feyre, right? right? Like she doesn't know 
her own strength. Well, and and Alice didn't know that yet either. Yeah. One thing I did that came out of that conversation that I thought was just interesting. It's really just like a small little tidbit. But it was interesting when Alice was talking about um, her nephews and about how precious children are to the Fae. I put foreshadowing. I did too. Yeah. Because it just sort of I clocked into Nick's and later on with all that. just she's Because she says they that children are more precious than any wealth or anything that they have. I'd kind of forgotten that like the Fae can't just like procreate left yeah. and right. Like they really, so I kind of started thinking like, you know, how do I know they live forever, but I don't know. It just, it's just interesting to me that they don't, uh, multiply as quickly as humans <laughs> yeah. do. Well, and I wrote down too, I think that conversation takes place before Amarantha attacks the Winter Court, kills a bunch of the Winter Court kids, because mm-hmm. that becomes a big issue yeah. later in book three when all the High Lords are together. I wondered if it was after, like if that was something that had already happened and that Alice would have known about and been like thinking about when she had this conversation. Right. But I think that this happened before that. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, one thing that you brought up earlier, Mindy, was when Alice said that um, to trap a cereal, all you needed to do was offer it a new robe. It would have groveled at your feet. (laughs) It's such a dude's, like, Lucian's way of thinking where it's like, where are you going to find a new robe? Just take it a chicken. Where all the women are like, dude, grab a robe out of someone's closet and take it to him. He doesn't care what color it is. That's funny. Right. Like, because, I mean, Lucian, if he wanted her to die, would want her to be under the radar about all of this, right? Right. And asking the kitchen for a dead chicken is not very under the radar. Well, clearly, because Alice knew exactly what (laughs) she was doing. But, you know, it is. Some guy just being like, well, where's she going to get a robe? Like, don't they have, like, dead chickens in the kitchen? <laughs> like, yeah, it just did not make sense to me. But, um, yeah, I kind of want to see the cereal in a really nice, like, blue velvet robe. <laughs> I think that's what she gives him um, in the next She book. gives, him, gives a cl- him a robe? Yeah, yes. she gives him a cloak or something. She, I don't remember she shit. She takes, like, really nice cloaks the next like two times that for she... those of you that haven't read book two we're on the same wavelength and i've read it three <laughs> times well because she starts using cloaks after alice gives her that information she i can't remember how many more times she like summons the cereal but she uses cloaks i think every other time see later i would have thought it would have been harder to find a cloak <laughs> a chicken so then she has this dinner with um lucian and tamlin and they tell her I think Tamlin says, you no, Lucian. Lucian says, you look lovely. Yes. And she's like, I thought you couldn't lie because I've never looked lovely a day in my life. And then it says, Tamlin choked on his wine (laughs) and said, who told you that? (laughs) I thought that was fun. Like the choking on his wine made me laugh, but it made me sad that she's like, I've never looked lovely. What are you talking about? And I wrote down, Reese thinks so. (laughs) When he sees, when he first sees her, he, he says like, I thought when I saw you, I thought you were the most beautiful thing I've ever seen and I'm like that's so nice that he thought that about her when in this point of her life when she thinks so poorly of herself well also twice already in this chapter and a half which for the record is how far you got (laughs) in the 30 second (laughs) breakdown it's already talked twice about how emaciated she is right and so again talking about like a writing implement like we've been reminded twice as the reader that she's really thin you know she doesn't look like she could fight off anything and i mean so much so that the naga kind of questioned whether or not she'd be good to eat right you know yeah 
So maybe he likes skinny chicks. <laughs> Everybody underestimates her. They tell her, yeah, we can absolutely lie. And we lied when we told you that we couldn't lie. And I loved how she was like trying to figure the logic of that just was like, you know what? I'm done. Like, right. It's <laughs> like she's like, I can't even like grasp that. Did they tell her they that they couldn't lie? Because he says later, we never willingly lied to you. She came into spring court thinking that fairies could not lie they never they they never never told her that narrative right right they never told her that they couldn't lie that was just something she assumed based on what she had been told like well and apparently that the the fairies had started and perpetuated that because yes because they wanted to be able to manipulate them as well as the iron right right exactly she asks about that too yeah in the next paragraph they talk about iron which you know is the whole thing in terms of like manic protection in terms of nesta and elaine like nesta's or i'm sorry elaine's even going to marry like an ironsmith's son right yeah and you know he's going to protect them and keep them safe and like they even later ask if they can like have some fairies stay like essentially in their factory, which I think is hilarious. One thing that I noted about this con- this dinner conversation is Lucian pieces out real yeah. quick, which I thought was hilarious to give Tamlin and Ferris some alone time. And they were talking about how she caught the cereal, which first of all, he is impressed and like shocked that she catches the cereal. And, and she's so- like, what? Like it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> down too because she she said despite myself despite the afternoon my lips twitched upward is it supposed to be hard and I wrote like Reese Witherspoon but he was so surprised it says Tamlin flinched as his claws shot out slicing his face he cut himself Mm -hmm. he was so surprised yeah well and I wrote that down too I said he can't control his claws or his anger from even hurting himself and like she, Come on, dude, go to therapy. She <laughs> looks at his hands all the time. And oh, she notices book, every and time. In the next book too, in Mist and Fury, she is constantly like watching for his claws to come out because she knows that he that's, can't control it. He's like super angry, and he can't control it even to not hurt himself. Yeah. And to me, I'm like red flag, red flag. <laughs> that's scary. Right? Yeah, that is like, really scary. That, that's one of those things that's like. When I read this at first, the first few times I read this book. so passionate. Not even that I thought it was a positive. It was just something that completely like went over my head that I just didn't pay attention to at all. But it's the equivalent of, and I'm not, well, Tamlin does get abusive eventually, but it's a lot of uh, people that are in a relationship. They'll be like, well, he only, or he or she Mm -hmm. only throws things at me when they're mad. It's the equivalent of like literally not being able to control yourself. Yeah. Well, and in this context, it's very easy to justify it in terms of like, well, he's just, he wants her to be safe. And he's so stressed out. He's really worried about her well-being. Do you like every time I talk about Tamlin, his (laughs) voice? I'm just so stressed, you guys. It's like when I do, Robbie says, when I do impressions of my brother, I do it like this. It's my only guy impression. It always Is your brother from Jersey? where Robbie's like it doesn't even sound like your brother um he's so impressed and shocked that she catches the cereal which I wrote down just like Resand, because later he's like I heard you caught the cereal she's like yeah what about it he's like well I've tried and I've failed twice <laughs> uh, you guys don't have dead chickens or robes <laughs> right um and this is where in my notes I wrote in all caps with two exclamation points the list of words <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask something? Because I noticed this in the in last week's episode, and I forgot to ask. I thought the cereal was the cereal, but there's more than one. 
I think that there is more than one. It's like a race, essentially, right? But, but she only she meets the same one every time. I think she meets the same one. Yes. So time. the serial would be like being like, um, I don't know what's a really good example of this. It's like a, it's not a culture. I mean, it's a, it's an ethnicity, right? A I type guess. of thing. I was gonna say. I don't want to like say it in an offensive type no, of way. My example was gonna be deer. <laughs> you say it's a deer or it's deer. That's over a there, lot like better a than what I just said. <laughs> okay. Well, well, I was gonna say it's the difference between tissues and Kleenex. <laughs> like, okay, there are bunches have, of tissues. We but... have race, plural and singular, and proper and um, common nouns. We might have to do wondering. a deep dive on this. <laughs> Before we discuss it first. This might have to go to Instagram. For the record, this is our nerdiest thing podcast. Uh, but no, the list of words, like I've told you guys off the podcast, I think um, multiple times. The first several times I read this book, the list of words like went over my head so many times of he he finds this list of words that she writes he knows that she can't really write and that she can't read he takes the list of words he now is presenting her the list of words and asking her about it and i'm like okay we're going to talk later about what he actually does with the list of words in the next section of chapters which i will be upset about but i'm like tamlin are you really that dumb because you well, we know. already said what did you say last week? He's a dum dum. He's no, socially not a dum dum. He's socially awkward. Oh, yeah. He's socially he awkward is. boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he like you know that she can't read. You see that she is reading through or trying to read through books in your in your library, and you find this list of words that are more like sophisticated vocabulary. Can you really not put two and two together? Honestly, I don't think he can. And then the complete lack of awareness and the lack of sensitivity of like, I'm going to pull this list of words out at the dinner table and ask you I about it. I also find like, it hard what? to believe that Tamlin went and dug in the trash. I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, it would have been sitting on the top of the trash, to be fair, because she throws it away like when he comes in and visits her. So he wouldn't have had to dig. What if her gum had been in it? That's gross. Um, Vera is a lady. She does not chew gum. I'm sure. That's too bad. Um, One thing that she does say here, which I found so hilarious and makes me makes me really like her. And I do. I will say throughout the books, I feel like she loses a little bit of the snarkiness and I start to miss it towards the end. Like she does get soft is the wrong word because I don't think growing and overcoming trauma is soft by any means. I think it's actually very, very strong. I think she becomes more sophisticated. She does become more sophisticated. She does soften her edge. Okay. Thank you. Um, but she says, is this a poem about murdering me and then burning my body? And I wrote ha 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 in the margins. Like Tamlin says that, doesn't he? No, she says, Oh, he does. Tamlin, you like something Tamlin did. When he says it, he's just being an asshole. I'm just kidding. That's really funny. Good job, Tam Tam. Tam. Good job, Tam Tam. So, again, I read this, like, you know, three days ago and still can't remember shit, you guys. Thank God you're here, Whitney. (laughs) Well, and this is the point, like, this conversation, the list of words kills me. But I did write down in my notes at that point, here is where we see Tamlin isn't the same kind of bad guy as like Baron, the high Lord of autumn, right? Right. Like he, he apologizes to her 
for how he offered help, he recognizes that he was really like kind of demeaning when he was like, you have this shortcoming. Why would I mock you? Like he recognizes that he hurt her feelings or that he embarrassed her, whatever. He apologizes for it. He tries again to, in a nicer way, make a, uh, not make, well, he is trying to make amends, but he's also trying to still offer his help in a nicer way. That's not going to embarrass her, even though he's ruined it by bringing out this list of words yeah, in the way that he here's does. Here's the thing know? about it too. Like, again, like it's cute and it's funny. And I was laughing, laughing at it too. But then I'm thinking he says that knowing favorite, well, maybe he doesn't know, but favorite doesn't even know what those words mean. And so he makes this joke that favorite doesn't even get. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. You know That's what I mean? That's a really good point, Mindy. That's but a good so, point. But, so I don't know if like maybe he just doesn't even realize at this point that she doesn't even know what those words mean. But I think she does because it says he read the list. I wanted to curl up and die. Words I couldn't recognize from books. Words that now seem so simple, so absurdly easy as he was saying them aloud. So I felt like she knew the words spoken. Yeah. But she didn't know what they were when they were But written. not when she wrote them. And then he says something like, oh, you're writing something. And so it's like she didn't know that when she wrote them down. Right, right. So and he is still mocking her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. But I, I do feel But I like don't know that he knows that he was. I don't, know, I don't think he does. Because he is a socially awkward. <laughs> he definitely he's is. a socially awkward boy. <laughs> like, and again, a woman wanted to sleep with him so bad that she cursed an entire <laughs> land of people for 50 years. He's so socially awkward that he was like, I don't want to do it with you. Like, well, his rejection was worse than that, too, but we'll get there. I don't remember that either. I don't well, I read ahead for I some of the wait. stuff that I was. Um, I, okay, at apparently week. you can read a book from 25 years ago and remember it, and I can't. <laughs> so I can, even though, y'all, I want to read ahead so bad because I'm like totally into this again, and I really love this series, and I actually reread it earlier, like in January this year, but like I can't remember enough to be then be able to talk about it. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm the exact same way. I can remember the books, but like I don't know what I had for dinner. three hours ago was your dinner as as exciting as this no i don't remember what i actually ate now i do (laughs) i wish you all could have seen that moment of revelation on whitney's face she was so excited (laughs) someday we're gonna do a video podcast like just once a year maybe we'll record one so you can see whitney's like food epiphany oh my god we had chicken No, I was going to say, I know what I wanted to eat, and it was going to be leftover veggie pizza, and then I went to go heat it up, and Robbie had thrown it away, (laughs) and I got really upset about that. So, anyway, I'm really This is is, neither here nor there. This is marriage, you guys. Um, something else I wrote down about, like, Tamlin, good good things about Tamlin, he sees, I I wrote down, like, he sees Feyre, like, for who she really is. He does. I'll agree with that. he says, you know you love your family. Like you care about your family. And this isn't about the promise to your mom that you want to make sure they're okay and let them know that you're okay. Like you care about them. And she doesn't even like want to admit that to herself. Well, and um, Mindy brought this up last week, but she again kind of rejects him. She says, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Like, and, but again, like if you've always had to do everything for yourself, and you've got this person that you don't trust saying, like, I found this list of words in the trash. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It, I mean, he was mocking her yeah. in her defense. Well, and, and she even, I think she even said something about when she was thinking about going to Lucian. Like, she doesn't know that they're not going to, like, completely twist her words and do stuff. At least not up until. I think Especially she, now that she knows they can lie. Well, exactly. But I think in this 
in this conversation as she talks to Tamlin, and you'll probably get to this, Whitney, about how she realizes that he went above and beyond to take care of her family. Yes. That is one of the one of the next things I wrote down. <laughs> what um, a good segue. He sees her. I wrote down. He sees her strength and her courage. And he says to her, they are fools, fools for not seeing it. Talking about, you know, like your family doesn't see you. They don't see what you sacrifice. They don't see the strength that you have to do the things that you've done to take care of them. And I also wrote down, like, he's not just talking about her family. He's talking about himself, too. Yeah. Because, like I said earlier, I think this is this is the point where he starts to see Feyre for who she actually is. And he is realizing... First of all, I'm dumb for not seeing you as an individual, but I'm also dumb for believing all the things about humans that my dad and my family taught me. Well, and again, uh, you know, something that made us fall in love with Tamlin at this point in the books, you know, last couple chapters, he asked her if anyone had ever taken care of her. And then this time he asked her if anyone, like if she even laughs, yeah. Yeah. which That's is more, the next thing I wrote down. yeah, is more than someone taking care of you. It's, it's more worried about like, have you ever been happy? Yeah. He right. sees the, he sees the pain that she's in, right? Like right. The emotional, mental, like anguish that she's in constantly. And he wants to like help her through that because he sees that it's happening. Right. Well, and he identifies with it too. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was an interesting parallel because in this book, at this point, Tamlin is the only one that sees the pain and the anguish that Feyre is experiencing, which is a parallel to Resand in the next book. You know, Tamlin is like completely oblivious to her pain in book two. And Resand is like, what's going on with you? Like, how can I help you? What well, can she I do? loses you all know? that weight again and stuff, which right. is yeah. what like right. really struck home to me. Right. Is that she got super she's emaciated struggling. again yeah. because I mean, we've just talked about it in this last 45 minutes is some like, the whole thing about her being unhealthy that Sarah J. Mash uses is how thin she is and yeah. how weak she is. And so she uses that to her advantage in the second book when that starts to happen again. And I think Tamlin is honestly so relieved to not be under the mountain that he just doesn't notice. Yeah. You know, he's socially awkward Tamlin. <laughs> yeah. Or he just doesn't know like what to do. So I'm just going to pretend like that's not happening. Right. I mean, I gave her food. She's fine. <laughs> I gave her paint. I gave her canvas. What else could she possibly want? Because right. for a while, that is all she wanted. Yeah, I'm Which getting ahead I, of myself. <laughs> I do want to interject since we just brought that up. What I loved about um, after this conversation when she talks about how like she has nothing else to worry about, right? She doesn't have to worry about her family. They're all taken care of. They're taking care of her more than she even could imagine. And she can finally feel like she can create. And I, it's, I so identify with that because I'm actually in that sort of place right now where I really, I'm, I'm a creator. I like to scrapbook. I like to do things with like create things with my hands. And I have been really not able to do it um, because I've got some things going on in my personal life. And so it was really interesting to me to see that sort of lift and um, her be able to like think oh I can actually paint it was kind of interesting because I feel like okay I need to get to that place and so I'm striving more for that now but I, I really 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 related to that me too yeah this podcast is one of the first like creative just for myself kind of you're things. welcome thank you thank you guys I, I won't say I love you all it'll make me cry. have you not ever noticed and we I mean we talk about this in the very first episode 
if you're a creative person, the first thing that goes when you're depressed is the motivation to create. Yep. Definitely. And sometimes I don't know that I'm down in the dumps until I can't work. Yeah, until you realize right. that I don't want to make stuff. I don't want to make new things. I don't want to do this project I was really excited about for a customer. Like, yeah. I, I want to like go sit in my bed and, and watch a movie. That's normal, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> It sometimes is, but not several days in a row. Yeah, I realized it when I bought like a ton of great like supplies. I, I bought a ton of really awesome vintage looking Halloween supplies and I sat down to use them and I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. See, one of my one of my signs is um, only rereading books that I've read a million times. Like those comfort reads that I of books that I really love. Like and that this are series? Exactly like this <laughs> series. Yeah. Like when I'm not reading anything new and I'm only rereading stuff I've read a lot, I'm like, hmm, something is up well, the is, is, is I have showed you two new series in the last two weeks. <laughs> One thing that I just thought was interesting that I hadn't remembered is that in this conversation, Tamlin is the one who tells Feyre that Fey fought for the humans and with the humans. Um, I don't think that he tells her his family was not part of that. <laughs> that they fought against the humans. But he says, you know, I was too young to fight. But if I could have, I would have fought for the humans too. And what I wrote down was he says that he would have fought for them. He says that he would have stood for freedom. But would he have said that 50 years earlier before Amarantha came? Well, and does he say that when he becomes tyrannical and locks when Feyre up. When he defeats Amarantha. Also, right. does he say that when he's not in front of a human? Right. Yeah. Trying to win over. We right? see, yeah, I think, you know, over the course of all of the books that have been released, like, there's a lot of evidence that perhaps, when given the real opportunity, Tamlin may not actually fight for humans. Well, Although, he does. He right? does. Like, yes. in the in but book three, ultimately, he does. he does ultimately go back to thinking that Feyre is a weaker being, yes. even though yeah. she essentially was the one that defeated Amar. Not essentially, she did defeat she was. Amarantha yeah. under the mountain when none of them could. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. and he, I mean, he goes back to treating her like she is this human dumb thing even though knows, she's fey right at that point right she yeah. knows nothing about politics she knows nothing about how to treat people um and then you know it gets so extreme in the third book that he literally locks her up yep. like well you can't protect yourself and she's like book motherfucker I, oh is it in book two mm. god i hate you right now. <laughs> Um, disclaimer i do not hate whitney i think she's one of the best people in the world um uh, this is what happens when, you know, we're three cocktails in. <laughs> um, he also tells her that he, when he's explaining, like, I have taken care of your family, like, they're good. He says, you know, you don't need to worry about them because I glamored their thoughts. Like, they don't remember me coming in as a, you know, scary monster man. Like, they think that you're, you know, somewhere safe and they are taken care of. Like, you don't have to worry. Which we find out later, several chapters down the road, that Nesta does not think that the That's glamour was, doesn't work yeah, on I was her. Gonna, I was thinking about that as we were reading this. How does it not work for her? I don't think we ever get an official explanation. Is it but, because she, I mean, when she goes into the cauldron, she changes more significantly than yes. Feyre or Elaine do when they're changed in the Feyre says basically her, her own like explanation of it is that Nesta's, mind she is so mentally strong and mentally fierce that she's able to withstand the glamour 
That's basically Feyre's explanation. I think that's the only explanation but we it ever would get. Makes sense, to, yeah. you yeah. know, considering the the kind of this the supernatural powers. character that yeah. she is turning into that we've not seen the end of yet. But also, right. I still feel like there's something about these three sisters that came from the mom. And again, like we don't have that backstory, but I know, I've got that theory. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on board with that. Um, the end of this conversation is Favra basically deciding that she wants to try to paint again. She talks about, you know, she's thinking about these colors that she didn't have any reason to explore um, before, but now she has no reason not to explore. And that now. was in conjunction with how she saw Tamlin I thought he was very attractive by the Mm -hmm. way like you were saying Deb well and I wrote down with that you know that quote Tamlin is providing her the space and the safety to reconnect with a vital part of herself and that's important yeah that's a huge part of her personal growth and her um, recovery from this stage of her life where she's been in survival for survival mode for so long um, being able to connect to that creative side, like you guys, we were just talking about, like mm-hmm. that's, that is so important for her. And Tamlin is the one who provides her that ability to do that at this point. Sure. And then mm, takes it away. I really wanted to do some research into whether or not, you know, have there been a lot of like encounters of people saying that they feel like they've been glamored over time because we know like with UFOs, people lose time, right? Or they see things that like they've never seen before. And the only thing I could find, which by the way, if you Google supernatural lore, changing people's thoughts or or minds or anything, the only thing that comes up is Supernatural Wiki, which for the three of us is one of our favorite shows of all time. And so it's a scary episode. Well, no, it talked about the Skinwalker in the Jen episode. Like it was like 25 episodes, which, (laughs) you know, with that show is like just one season of 15. Right. So like what, 15% of the time? (laughs) I couldn't find anything where people, um, you know like ufos or like the whole like um do you guys know like what the dancing like um the frenzy and like virus was of victoria times there's nothing like that that's like a mass effect of change in someone's mind with the exception of the mandala effect and i don't know if either of you have heard about this i'm pretty sure the first time i read about it a couple of years ago i called you both and i was like holy shit i do remember having a conversation (laughs) yeah so for those of you that don't know what the mandala effect is um it's when essentially false memories are shared by multiple people it's called this due to the large number of people who have vivid memories of the death of Nelson Mandela. So, um, and for those of you that don't know who he is, he was the anti-apartheid leader of Africa. Um, and a lot of people remember him dying in prison in the 1980s. That is a, a widely known thing that people thought of when actually he died in 2013. You're giving me the look I was giving you when you're talking about Tamlin. When did you thought when did you think he died? I think I knew that he died, you know, fairly recently, but I didn't realize that there were a bunch of people that thought he died like 30 yeah, years ago. They thought ago. he died in prison in the 1980s. So there are a lot of paranormal researchers that believe that the Mandala effect is evidence of parallel realities, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. And if you listen to the podcast Morbid, and if you don't, I think you should, they have a lot of really cool listener tales about parallel realities and essentially like the Mandala effect of like, essentially like 
their significant other leaving to go to the store and they see this person come back in and they talk to them and everything and the person like walks in the bathroom and then like their significant other walks in the door again and a lot of people like it will scare that the shit out of I, you no but, but everyone else is like well it's parallel realities it's like something that you're seeing happening that's not like this reality which i think is kind of neat so a lot of paranormal a lot of paranormal researchers think that this is <laughs> I, i'm horrified I'm freaked <laughs> out <laughs> Whitney and Mindy are like so scared right now. This is worse than our like spooky ghost stories from a couple weeks ago. I know. Is it scary to think I might have a friendly old man ghost in my house or to think that Brian could walk in here and he's in a different reality? I think the different reality oh, is for scarier. Sure. I really do. See, I think it's neat. Tell like, me more. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> okay. So a lot of paranormal researchers think that this is evidence of parallel realities, but a lot of scientists believe that our minds are susceptible to false memories. There's even been court cases about like a therapist essentially kind of prompting you to like remember something and then like your memory's wrong, which I think is kind of tricky when it comes to trauma. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that. Um, but, you know, scientists believe that we're susceptible to false memories. But I ask, have we just been glamored? <laughs> you know? Okay. So I wanted to um, – so the Mandala effect, like I said, it's it's false memories that are shared by multiple people. And there's a lot of these in popular culture. Okay. So I picked out um, the top ten examples that kind of blew my mind. Um, these are found on Esquire.com. And then quite the opposite, GoodHousekeeping.com. That is the if you want to look up either of these articles, just search Mandala Effect and they'll come right up. Okay, so number 10, and I'm going to ask you guys these questions, and um, I want you both to tell me what you think. So number 10, does the Monopoly man have a monocle? I think he does, which means I guess he doesn't. He does not. I mm, thought he did, too. I thought See, he I, did. He doesn't, but the, the Mr. Peanut? Peanut Man does. <laughs> right, and a lot a lot of researchers have said, like, you know, you're confusing yeah. those two things. Okay, number nine, what color is Pikachu's tail? Black. It is yellow. It is only yellow. He does not have that black lightning bolt at the end of his tail. What? Right? I know. Maybe I should have put that as number two. Okay. Number eight. The Fruit of the Loom logo. What all is in it? Grapes. Okay. Like, is there anything (laughs) besides fruit? I think it's just fruit. Okay. So the Fruit of the Loom cornucopia that, or Fruit of the Loom logo I'm thinking of has a cornucopia in it. So much so that I asked my mom what it was when I was like five. Like, what is that thing the fruit's coming out of? It's cornucopia. It's not in the logo at all, for the record. See, just, I only remember the, the, uh, 1980s commercial and all the creepy men dressed in dressed in fruit, fruit uh, yeah, and tights. Right, I was like that cannot feel good up against your balls. I knew that at a young <laughs> age. <laughs> yeah, that that whole brand creeps me out. It does a little. Okay, I feel lucky. I grew up with the Michael Jordan. No, that's Hanes. No, yeah, no, see, there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I would call the Mandala effect. Okay. What do you guys call those little orange? This is number seven, by the way. What do you guys call those little orange squared cheddar crackers? Cheez Its, but I think it's just Cheez It. It's Cheez It. There's yeah. no Z because you were picturing it with a Z, right? Mandala. I'm going to okay. have to go look at in my pantry. <laughs> no, just Cheez It, for the record. I thought it was Cheez Its, too. Because why would you name it one singular cracker? That's right. stupid. That is stupid. Okay. What color is C3PO? I told you I had a Star Wars reference. Gold. I have two. 
Okay. He, but his in his arm silver, like he's no, but his legs silver, and I never remembered that. I thought he was all gold. Did you know he had a Stop silver it. leg? He has a silver leg, right? Oh my gosh! Okay. But I think my- I, I'm going to blame that on cinematography in that age where it's just very <laughs> washed yeah. out. Okay, but I will tell you guys that. What is so kind of shocking about that one is Halloween costumes are wrong. Yeah, no kidding. Halloween costumes have them are all gold. gold. Mm-hmm. So, do you know there's another Star Wars reference that has the mandala effect too? Whenever Vader is speaking to to his son, what is his famous line? Well, everyone says, "Luke, I am your father." Is but this that's your brother speaking? Or Vader? <laughs> That's the only impression I have. (laughs) Christ. I I know that's what everybody says, but I know also that that's not correct. It's uh, search your feelings. No, it's I am your father. He doesn't say Luke. And then he says search your feelings. You know it to be true. That's one that could just be someone adding that to it, right? Okay. Number five. What does the Wicked Queen say to the mirror in Snow White? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? That's what I would say, too. It's magic mirror on the wall. I disagree. (laughs) I disagree. I disagree, too. Okay. Um, Number four. What does Hannibal Lecter say to Clarice when they meet? I want to say, hello, Clarice. (laughs) See, you can't do another male accent. (laughs) It's either Vader or Hannibal Lecter. (laughs) He, do you know? I don't know. I don't know this one. He never says, hello, Clarice. He says, good morning. What do you mean it. he never says hello, Clarice? I know. <laughs> what? So in 10 years, when the ship flits back on the Mandala effect, you guys call us. We want to talk about this. I <laughs> Like people are quoted in movies saying that. Yeah. Like it's I know. Okay. What's the closing line of the song, We Are the Champions? It's this of one. Of the world? Sing it. It's Sing not it. of the world oh. because it just stops with... We are the champ. Hold on. It no, just stops. Yeah. Oh, okay. So all, again, we are the champions. Right. All these popular yeah. cultures that go of the world. It doesn't. It it bothers me. It just me. feels better to say of the, the world. chord does not resolve. <laughs> but I mean, musically, I, that sucks. I grew up singing that at the end. Yeah. Like okay. I so. feel like my sister is listening to this. Like the chord does not resolve. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, we got your back. Yeah, shout out to Catherine once again. Okay. In some of these are leading, and I want you guys to really like use what you know. Okay. So in the movie Risky Business with Tom Cruise, is he wearing sunglasses? When he does his little da- I'm sorry, let me read. He does his little dance in his underwear when he and slides socks. In on his yes. socks. Is he wearing sunglasses? No, but he is in the movie, like in the in the movie poster or the he trailer. Sunglasses in his and I think that's why people think that. Yeah seen risky business oh he literally takes them off his face mindy when he slides out but no it's saying he doesn't costumes come with the sunglasses yeah just like see with the shirt and socks and stuff it comes with the sunglasses yeah i mean that's yeah Yeah. i mean but yeah i I don't yeah okay so here's the one that really blew my mind and as you all get to know us better um i have a degree in art and in design and so this was one several years ago when i started reading about the mandala effector aka glamoring as we're calling it (laughs) that really stuck with me and got me kind of down this rabbit hole in this line of thinking so 
the Thinker Sculpture by Rodin. You guys know what that is, right? Yes. Brass Sculpture. This one's widely debated amongst people because people remember the sculpture being as a man with their fist on their forehead where yes. he's like looking down. Yes. Thank you. Mindy and Whitney just showed me that. <laughs> There's even people pictured in this pose in front of the statue when in fact the hand is now resting on his chin. So there are pictures on the internet of people resting their forehead on their chin in front of the statue that ha- or I'm sorry, resting their fist on their, their forehead, forehead in front of the statue that's resting it on his fist chin. on his chin. Oddly enough, George Bernard Shaw, he was photographed, because this was early 1900s, um, he was photographed on the night of the artwork's unveiling with his hand resting on his forehead, not under his chin. And that's my section. Boom. Mandala effect. Glamouring in modern society. Interesting. Whitney doesn't even know what to say right now. I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, I had heard of that the Mandela effect, Mandala yeah, effect. It's but the not sculpture one that gets examples. with me because it's the only example where people are posing wrong incorrectly. In front yeah. of the actual in thing. In front of the sculpture. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there, and you know, I do believe in the supernatural. <laughs> Three and a half cocktails. Um, I am not a lightweight for the record. I do really believe in this. So there is a part of me that's like, are there parallel universes? Are there things that, you know, maybe we don't understand? Like, did the doctor come and change the time space continuum? Like, did something happen that changed something? Yeah. And the picture can't change because it's framed in someone's house. Right. But the sculpture did. Mm. What do you guys think? I don't well, want to think about that too long. In the, Sar- <laughs> in the world of... You haven't had enough cocktails. <laughs> in the world of Sarah J. Mass, there are par- parallel universes. That's true. There are. I've talked about it several times on this. That's true. Um, and Spoiler I'll, alert. I'll talk about it a little bit on our nerdiest thing later because I got a book box this week that was fucking awesome. <laughs> Um, before we move on to the last chapter of the section, I just wanted to point out, Feyre asks for these painting supplies, and Tamlin's like, oh, you like to paint? And offers to give her a tour of the gallery, but he's got to have it cleaned first. Which also reminds me of the Beauty and the Beast Disney movie, yeah. yes. right? Where the, he has to clean the ballroom, yep. and it's like, when we're human again, <laughs> human again. If you guys heard my singing voice in the trailer, you already know what you were in for. <laughs> Um, I wrote down the gallery is really, especially once they actually go to the gallery, it's very much a point of true connection for the two of them. Like that is a a big turning point for them. Um, Him being excited to show her the gallery and her being interested in the gallery. You read ahead, right? Because I'm like, I I did. Yeah. No, they talk about the gallery in this section, but she doesn't go to it until the next one. Okay. Right. Right. Um, And I said I wrote down that they she compares him to Isaac that Isaac had never made her smile and never smiled at her like that. Right. Um, and <laughs> Were they really ever looking each other? I'm eye? sure they weren't, yeah. Um, I wrote down, like, smiling at each other is they are simply having the space and the, the motivation for a simple pleasure of life. When is the last time either of them have been free for that? So they will always With hold. Me? I know, right? <laughs> I wrote down they will always hold special space for each other because of that. Like for both of them, they allow each other yeah. just that simple pleasure of like, let me show you this really cool gallery and 
let me enjoy this really cool gallery. And they haven't been able to do that right. for years. And I noticed that part too, where she can't help but compare him to Isaac, yeah. who is literally the only love interest, so to speak. And I put that in air quotes. Um, Feyre would put it in air quotes. Right. Um, <laughs> that she's ever had. And this is the first time like she's had, I mean, I, I, I feel like when I read it that she was getting butterflies I was in her use stomach. That word too, yes. butterflies. Yeah, like, Isaac was a you know he would come around the corner of the barn and leaned against it until she looked at him. Well, and like, yeah, and that was and, and Isaac. You up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that was her release. This is like her first true like crush, I guess, almost. And but, I think it which is, is for Tamlin too, honestly. which is why I think it was so easy in your in our first read of this to go there with them as a couple oh yeah he made her smile yeah yeah um but also two steps forward one step back she offers to um work for the supplies like to pay it off and he's like you would only be a hundred you'd just be in the way he's like what the fuck you gonna do human i literally wrote down two steps forward one step back like tamlin now honestly though like but honestly like if he just said anything else do you think she would have been okay with that no yeah. also though because this is a podcast called our nerdiest thing when you said that twice what song is now stuck in my head when i said what twice two step forward one step back oh i don't paula know. abdul yeah you did <laughs> the only person in the world that's shorter than me by the way <laughs> so in this next section Farah has this nightmare and she we know as people who have read the book we know that she's dreaming about amarantha but at this point Farah has no idea what's going on in her in her dream she's dreaming about a woman with um blood red lips nails nails, Nails. blood red nails that's asking her her name and like threatening to hurt her like she's like slitting her throat isn't she yeah she is with the nails i tried to speak but blood bubbled out of the shallow wounds on my neck choking me yeah and so she has this nightmare and so as i was reading that i was thinking about and i think i've mentioned this before on the podcast but i've seen some people online talking about the theory that when she's having these dreams about amarantha that she's actually seeing Resan's dreams or Resan's or experiences. Res- I read it as what Resan is seeing. Right. His, right. His, he, she's seeing what he's seeing or what he's dreaming. Right? right. So I was thinking about that and I was like, okay, that would make a lot of sense. If he is seeing her, if he, if Resand is watching Amarantha torture people, at this point in the story, we find out later from Resand that he has been having dreams about Feyre. And at this point in the story, he suspects that she is in Prithian. That she, the, the visions he's having of her are no longer hazy. And later he realizes that's because she was across the wall and then she was inside the wall. This is totally off, off the... Um subject of this but i have a question speaking about resand because i'm sitting here thinking about it and like squirming in my seat and this isn't the only book that does it when he calls her favorite darling why does that like do it for me <laughs> <laughs> like there is there's all these books right now that are out and now granted this book was written quite some time ago yeah. in terms of like book talk world right like 2015 or yeah so. right so i mean at this point we are you know almost eight years past yeah. when this book was written and for the record 
all of us read this way back then. We were like way cool back then. <laughs> Not anyway, me. I only read it. I was it giving like you last... credit because oh, wow. Mindy and I read it back then. I'm super cool too. <laughs> um, so, but you've still read it more times than us, which makes you cool. You caught up. Um, I don't think that's a compliment. <laughs> when he calls her Feyre, darling, like my, I'm like literally. Like, I don't even want to say how I feel about it because it's so grotesque. Your ovaries explode? No, worse than that. It's not my ovaries exploding, babe. Um, so, but then, like, in A Touch of Darkness, he Hades calls her, he calls calls her, her darling. darling. Mm-hmm. And then I just read a book where he calls her Sparrow. And mm-hmm. then another book, the guy calls her Goldfinch. And if you've read any of the, these books, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And literally, my panties fall off. <laughs> Because if my husband looked at me and he's like, what's up, Goldfinch? I would have been like, who the fuck are you talking to? (laughs) Why are you calling me that? But there's something about Feyre, darling. Like, he calls her that so early. And, like, it is such a sweet term of endearment, right? And But you, you know, talking about these writing implements that Sarah J. Mash uses you see it as him mocking her at first because he's always like, hello, Feyre, darling. But then you're like, oh, hey. (laughs) Hey, Reese, darling. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Why, hello. Are those my panties? Sorry. I think think with Resand and Feyre specifically, I think that it's a combination of different things. I think that part of it is the way that Resand is written as so charming. And that's just part of it. And I think that part of it is um, Feyre's just really kind of devastating backstory and the lack of love and the lack of attention and the lack of affection mm-hmm. and the, the way that Resand treats her and Tamlin too, some of the time, yeah. the way that they treat her like so tenderly and with such care, she hasn't gotten that from anybody before, you know? And so like we, as a reader, I've been treated tenderly. Why do my panties fall off? <laughs> Because you're seeing you're seeing him through her eyes, through her eyes as somebody. No, I'm not. <laughs> well, then I don't know, Deb. Um, you're just a weirdo. My husband does edit this podcast, and I swear to God, don't call me darling in bed because I'll stop and I'll be like, no. Um, but yeah, so she has. So okay, I'm confused about this nightmare because I thought like that makes sense to me if Resand is watching Amarantha torture people having nightmares because he's having dreams about Feyre and especially after he meets her he tells her later I was terrified for anybody to sense any kind of connection between the two of us because I knew what Amarantha would do to you so it made sense to me especially when the summer court fairy shows up after the nightmare if he had just watched Amarantha you know rip the wings off of somebody if he watched her do that, it would make sense to me that he would have nightmares about Amarantha doing that to this mystery person he's dreaming about, right? However, I looked it up in uh, Mist and Fury in that chapter 54 where he tells Feyre, where Resand tells Feyre his whole story, right? And he talks about this time period before he meets her as I was seeing your nightmares, not that he was having nightmares about her and Amarantha, but that he was seeing her nightmares about Amarantha. But don't, like, their bond, though, is reciprocal. Yes, it so, is. So, like, even though he might have been 
thinking he was seeing her nightmares. He might have been projecting what he was seeing. That's my that's my thought too because I read that and I'm like, okay, so if he thinks that he was seeing her nightmare, that's fine. I can accept that. However, why would Feyre be having these dreams about this Amarantha who she does not know exists at this point? Right. And Especially whole, with what she actually looks like, the too. The thing right? that gets me is the blood red nails because right. she has described as having those several times. That's but here's what, what gets me is that she's asking her name and that takes me to Claire. Yes. Right. Which is what happens way in the future exactly this has not happened yet that's what i'm saying like it's kind of freaked me out a little bit when i read this i thought ooh, like somebody something is affecting pharah's dreams whether that's reese or somebody else because it's like it does there is no reason for pharah to be dreaming specifically about this person accurately and about five years we're gonna go didn't we already talk about that (laughs) (laughs) theory about that um but yeah i'm that that was something that i'm kind of curious about because i'm like according to resand he was not dreaming about that he was watching her dream about that but that doesn't make any sense and what's interesting about this this is such like this is literally a paragraph in the very beginning of this and it completely switches gears so it's like like this is like such a like it's an easy thing for when you're first reading it to completely skip over and then now looking back she's dreaming about the cereal but she's really not right yeah the cereal. Cereal. I like Fruit Loops. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing in the Mandala Effect, a logo that changed, but I didn't bring it up. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so she wakes up from this nightmare. She hears a commotion. She goes down and she finds Tamlin is bringing in this fairy that we find out is from the summer court. This fairy has had their wings ripped off and he keeps repeating. She took my wings. She took my wings, which we as the reader having read this know that he's talking about Amarantha. Do you know what this reminds me of? Mindy, how far are you in the kingdom of Ash? Mm. I just Mm. started Tower of Dawn. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Yep, I sure do. That person screaming the same thing over, over and, over and over again. And yep. it made me cry. Mm-hmm. And someone posted artwork about it the other day, and yep. I cried again. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, and I'm like, holy crap. Like, it has really stuck with me. So when Mindy gets all done with the books, we can talk I'm further about that. working on it. But this... <laughs> Hurry this, up, Mindy. <laughs> I had a lot of detours. No, for the record, that... Book clubs. That, yeah. That series is very, very long, but worth every single page. Um, but she uses this more than once in her writing to describe pain. How, like, you're so in shock you can't say anything else. And as a reader, it really puts you in their point of view. And Because, again, I've read this book several times and reading this again and really paying attention, like, my stomach hurt when I was done. Me too. There were a couple of different things that I noticed slash made connections about that I had never done before. Like, Lucian you know, throwing up at the sight of this. I know. I had never, even though Tamlin explicitly says it, I had never really put together that Lucian is getting sick because of like, I it's forgot Lucian was in the room. It's triggering for him. And I have always read this as Lucian, like can't hang yeah. with the strong boys. To be honest, you know I, mean? I even read it this time too. Cause I was like, what the hell's wrong with him? And then you just said it. And I'm like, you're I, absolutely yeah. right. I know. I first was like, my first thought was like, damn, pansy. I was so frustrated with myself. Cause Tamlin literally says it to Feyre later. Like yeah. Lucian's got his own stuff that this 
kind of triggered him. And right. I'm like, how do I miss that Tamlin straight up tells us that? Right. And I just missed it. But I thought about Resand so much in this scene. And I don't think I've ever done that before reading this because I would just, I'm assuming that Resand saw this happen or found yeah, out about too. it at least, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, he at least knows that it happened after the fact if he did not witness it happening. And I just kept thinking, we find out later when Feyre goes to the night court, goes, uh, meets the Illyrians and finds out about Reese's wings and all this stuff. We find out about how um, precious wings are to the people that have them and how, you know, Rhysand says for the Illyrians, like if you took their wings, it you might as well have killed them. Like it is a death sentence and it completely changes who they are at their very core when they do not have that vital piece of themselves. And I assume that it's going to be the same for the summer court fairy. Right. And I was like, you know, Rhysand seeing this happen to the summer court fairy or hearing about it later, I imagine that he is like, this is exactly why I am being her whore. This right here. This is what I'm protecting Cassian from. This is what I'm protecting Azrael from. This is what I'm protecting more from. All these people back in Valaris that nobody knows exists, that's why. And I'll keep doing it and I'll be happy to do it because I do not want this to happen to them. Right. You know? And then that's where I kind of was like, that would make sense to me if he, if this happened and he was having nightmares about Amarantha that then Pharaoh was experiencing. Um, and I wrote in my notes, Amarantha is like kind of a long name for me to write down in my notes over and over, but I don't <laughs> want to shorten it. Cause so like I shorten it, Tamlin, I write Tam, Lucia and I write Lucy and, uh, Reese sand. I write Reese. And I'm like, I that wrote bitch down, doesn't des- deserve her whole that name. Is yes. what I know. I said, she doesn't deserve a nickname. I don't even want to shorten her name. Like she's a friend. Is what I, wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep writing her full name. Cause it really bothers me. Um, so Feyre goes to Tamlin and wants to help with the summer court fairy. And I just feel like this entire scene for Feyre, for Tamlin and for Lucian too, but especially for Feyre and Tamlin, both individually and together as a couple, this experience with the summer court fairy is a huge, huge turning point for both of them. This is really like, like they, they've already been noticing each other and noticing their attraction to each other and noticing different aspects of each other's personalities and seeing them for who they really are. But this is where I feel like they both are like, I could really like, like you before we get into something really deep about this. I just have to say, I don't feel like I was a little bit like this couldn't happen when Feyre was holding the fairy down. Like I get that he was weakened, but like you've pointed out several times Deb that she's been emaciated she's weak she can't how is she holding a fairy down even in a weakened state like how is she able to do that you know what I'd ask though is how did she carry a deer for miles that's true that's true like adrenaline can make you do a lot of things that's true and And she was very focused and in tune to it Well, and this fae has lost serious amounts of blood even as he's laying there like there's a thing it's like pulling around her feet strip drip drip over and over again and so that was the only thing that made it more believable for me i mean i kind of went there too but i I, I really could i got hung up on that for a little bit have you guys noticed though that um essentially tamlin does like a last rites for this i know this fae and i 
you know, I am not Catholic, so I apologize if I'm if I do read the wrong thing. But um, Tamlin says, "Cauldron save you, um, mother hold you. Pass through the gates and smell that immortal land of milk and honey. Fear no evil, feel no pain. Go and enter eternity." And it reminded me of like the though I live in the valley of shadow and death thank you but then yeah. um so that so it reminded me of like the more protestant part of that but then the catholic prayer is eternal rest grant unto him or her O lord and let the perpetual sh- light shine upon him which reminds me of like go through the gates and smell the immortal land of milk and honey which i kind of want to look in and find out like why milk and honey what's so What's so important about that? Do you know? That's probably, I'm assuming because in the Old Testament, when um, they're talking about the promised land, it's described constantly as a land flowing with milk and honey. I know, but is that something that you think the fairies would buy into? Well, maybe Sarah J. Mass is a problem. Yeah, I, I was going to so. say, yeah. I think it's probably just what Sarah, yeah. J., what so, Sarah J. was looking at. Right. So in the Catholic rites, it talks about God blessing us with peace and strength. And, you know, she's then Tamlin says, fear no evil, feel no pain, go and enter eternity. Um, so I kind of like that there's like a fae last rites. But then if you go into the whole like Catholic, like Catholicism, if you don't have the last rites, doesn't that mean you would go to hell? That it would mean you would go to purgatory and then you would have to like the people that were still here would have to pray for your soul in purgatory to make it to paradise. So all of those, all I of think. these Fae that are moaning and dying is Feyre and Resander getting it on in their tent <laughs> in book three. Did they go to purgatory? <laughs> Cause that scene really bothers me. It's like as the dead were moaning and groaning around us, <laughs> we groans. found our pleasure. And yeah. Like, their groans drowned out the, <laughs> the dying soldiers. No offense. I think I would have lost my erection. <laughs> like, I would have been like, um, is that guy feeling sexy or is he dying? Because oh I feel real yeah. weird about this. And if we can hear them, they can, they can hear, hear us. us. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Resand had some kind of like protective, soundproof bubble. Please, he does not. He's been like, yeah, I'm, I'm delivering to my woman. <laughs> bring, bring down the mountain. That's right. Uh, so sorry. I I really liked that there was like a last rites essentially, and that Tamlin knew what it was. It kind of it took him to like this level of sophistication and. You know, and compassion. Oh, right. it made him more personable. Yeah, well, because from Feyre, Feyre keeps looking at him and talking about like this super powerful high lord who's so vicious and who can do all these crazy violent things and who has all this strength, whatever. But now, because he's doing this, she gets to see his like more compassionate side and he gets to see her compassionate side as well for being there and not leaving. And, um, you know, when she tells the fairy, like, you'll get your wings back, it's fine. She holds his hand and, and says, I would want somebody to do that for me. Like they both get to see each other in this completely different way. Can I say something about, you said, um, she, well, he asked her why she did that. You know, if she dislikes their kind on a good day and after aunt, Andres, like, why? She said, because I wouldn't want to die alone, because I'd want someone to hold my hand until the end, and a while after that. Doesn't Reese hold her hand when she's dead under the mountain? Ooh. That would make sense to me. Isn't yeah. he cradling her Reese, as she dies? Yeah, Reese is there with her, with her while, while Tamlin she- is... 
is killing Amarantha. Yes. Spoiler. <laughs> While Tamlin that was is a big killing Amarantha. And then after Tamlin kills Amarantha, he comes to her. And, right. Yeah. But I think like, you're right. Yeah, yeah. He holds her the whole time. So again, some good foreshadowing there. there. Yeah. Well, and I wrote down like all these different aspects of how this is a turning point for them, for, for all of them, Lucian included. Um, for Farah. She is seeing and showing that she, her, her hate of the Fae that caused her to kill, you know, on Andras, Andres. Um, our nerdiest vocabulary, Mindy. Do you remember? I, I just call him Andres. Andres. Okay. Um, it was I could be totally wrong. Sounds good. I think her, she and they are all realizing that her hatred of the Fae, it's not really about the Fae. It's a resentment about what her life looks like. Um, but it's not really a hatred of them, right? Like it's right. more about her own circumstances. Um, she is seeing fairy and human as equal beings, right? Like she is seeing them as living beings that both have value just for being living beings. Well, doesn't she say something like she wants to fall at Tamlin's feet and beg for his forgiveness? forgiveness. Yeah. yeah. She right. apologizes mm-hmm. and says, you know, I'm genuinely sorry. When she also says she's never said that to anybody before like that. Yeah. Well, her seeing this bright blue colored creature who's technically a lesser fae, which is not very humanoid, uh, according to what Whitney has told us. Um, <laughs> and so her seeing this non-person looking person yeah. as a human being, right, instead of just like a deer to eat, for example. Right. Because she, I mean, I do feel like she felt somewhat weird about shooting the wolf, but she knew it was her or the wolf, right? Right. right. And... So if the wolf hadn't really been trying to, like, eat her or whatever, which he hadn't yet, she wouldn't have shot it, right? Like, she does have this level of compassion within her for animals, but I think she saw this blue fae as not an animal. Well, and, um, yeah, even when she shot the wolf, we talked about this back in the first couple of chapters where she said, like, I wish that I could have felt something, but it was winter and I needed food, right? Like, I, I don't have space. I don't have room i can't afford that right yeah Yeah. like i don't i i can't do that i just wrote a bunch of notes about all of this stuff one thing that i wrote down we were talking about her seeing Faye and human as equal they all have intrinsic value just for um being alive i wrote down do tamlin and lucian view humans the same way after their after their horrible fathers and their terrible upbringings right and what they've been taught about humans i feel like at this point they don't i think tamlin's starting to because he's he yeah. said a few times you're not at all like what, what I, thought I thought a hu- yeah. human was but, but Lucian for sure no to your point about like you said for now no I don't know if they ever really do hmm. I don't feel like if it's Nesta, tough but fair if, <laughs> yes tough but fair. if Nesta and Elaine hadn't been turned mm. I think that they really would have turned their noses down at them for being the weak humans yeah. amongst the group that's true I think that's probably true. Um, I wrote down huge moments for for all of them. I wrote down like six different things. Um, so I thought this was huge for Farah. Her acknowledgement of I was wrong to kill your friend and I'm sorry that I, you know, had such hate for Faye. Um, it's big, not just 
for her to open herself up to have feelings for Tamlin, but it also allows her to open herself up to have feelings for Resand later on. And it also helps her when she becomes Faye because she has already, by the time that she is turned into a high Faye, she has already kind of worked through her feelings about the Faye and all of these different assumptions and stereotypes that she has. And I think that part of the reason her sisters struggle so much is because they have not had that opportunity, but by the time they get thrown in the cauldron, right. I was thinking the right? same thing about how Elaine reacts as yeah. opposed to how Pharaoh reacted. Yeah. Well, there's been this time to get rid of the prejudice that's right. not there. And they don't and the circumstances are obviously different. You know, Pharaoh is turned into a high fae to save her life. Well, right? if anything too, Nesta and Elaine, their prejudice is compounded oh, by yeah. what happens to them. They're right. like, Well, They're you're kidnapped. just proving us right. Right. Yeah. They are kidnapped and forced into the cauldron as like a way to torture their sister, right? Pharaoh is turned into a fae as like a a gesture of mercy and gratitude f- to save her life after she saved all of Prithian. Like right. that, that is not the same thing. It's a right? totally different circumstances. Right. A few weeks ago, someone on Instagram had done a drawing of the King of Highburn, and everyone was like, um, that's nice, but he's way too handsome. Everyone's like, I thought he looked like Snape. <laughs> I think he's supposed to be well, handsome. Well, you don't though. want him to be handsome right. because he's a bad guy, right? right? And But to Nesta and Elaine, their whole thing is like, all these people are beautiful. They're all charming. They all have riches beyond your beliefs. And that's all a trick right. to get you to trust them. Yeah. Which isn't untrue in a lot of right. cases. No, I, yeah, well, like Ianthe. Right. She's what a beautiful. Bitch. Yeah, she's beautiful yeah. and she is trying to lure you in, but she's got all these like sinister motives that I kind of want to kick her in the too. cooter. But, she reminds me of a black widow. <laughs> she's very black widow. Um, something else I wrote down is like a turning point. Tamlin is seeing Feyre not just for who she is and not just as this human girl, but also I, I think this is where he starts to see her as somebody that he could really fall in love Equal. with. Yeah. Like he's seeing all these different qualities that he admires. <laughs> There were no cookies in the cocktail, babe. That's the sugar. Whatever. We look over and Mindy's got... I'm really good. (laughs) Got fucking sugar in my bra. I'm sorry. Do you not like the weekly drinks you get? No. No, I just look over. Clearly, I drank three of them, and I did not notice the sugar going down in my bra. I look over. I can practically see Mindy's tits. Because we're to talk about Tamlin. Her shirt is pulled out so far, I can see everything but her nipple, and then her hand is shut down her shirt. It was itching. (laughs) Excuse yourself. If you can't grab your boobs in front of your best friends, who can you grab your boobs in front of? That's true, I guess. Carry on. Back to the seriousness. Oh, Is your tit okay? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> God. Sorry. I thought it was a bug at first. Sorry. <laughs> How horrible would that be? Gross, right? I think she would have been less perturbed. She's like, why do I have a cookie down my shirt? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. I derailed us. I can't even focus now. <laughs> um, so Tamlin, I wrote down to Tamlin sees... 
Tamlin is mourning his friend that died at Feyre's hand, but he also is seeing, and I think he's accepting more and more, that somebody had to die if they have any chance to break this curse, right? Like, I don't think that he's really, like, upset with Feyre about it. I think that he's accepting more and more, like, this is the hand I've been dealt and we just got to deal. Um, and I wrote to Tamlin sees that Feyre's heart is changing and that she could be heading down the path to love him. And he probably has so many mixed emotions about that. So should he dare to hope that he could break the curse? Um, should he dare to hope that she really could love him and that he could love her too? That, that this maybe could be an actual relationship and not just breaking up the curse? Remind me, does he send her away before she's actually really in love with him? No. Why doesn't the curse break? She well, the curse does break eventually, well, but see, I don't fucking know. Um, Reese. Reese is the reason that he that Tamlin sends her away, and we're going to get to that in a few weeks. But basically, Resand shows up and intentionally scares Tamlin and Feyre because he knows that Amarantha is going to like torture and murder Feyre if she finds out about her. And so Uh, he's like, I'm going to come and scare the crap out of you so that you send her away and we can protect her from Amarantha. And so that's what Tamlin does. But he doesn't know, you know, that I've read this book three times, but we'll get there. But I've never written in the margins until now. (laughs) Um, But I wrote down to like Tamlin. I feel like is thinking, could this all really work out? Like, is there really a chance that this could, like, not only that I could break the curse and save my people and save Prithian, but, like, I could actually have this with this girl that I am I think I'm starting to like, you know? Yeah. Um, the other things that I wrote down, and I'm going to kind of change the subject. So did you guys want to say anything? Is there a cookie on your boob? <laughs> my boobs are good. Related to the book. <laughs> but... I did want to, there was one thing that stood out to me about this, and it's when she tells the fairy that he'll get his wings back, everything's going to be okay. So she's telling him these basically untruths. And she mentions that she utters her first false promise, basically, that she's ever said. And if you remember back in, I feel like it was probably either the first or second episode of the podcast. Farah talks about how sacred a promise is and how sacred her vow was to her mom. And this is the first time she's uttered a promise that no intention of keeping. Right? Exactly. She can't. But it was to give someone else peace. So it was very, yeah. in my opinion, unselfish. And, oh, yeah. you know, do you know what it reminded me of is the part in Outlander whenever Georgie dies? And she's telling him that, like, he says, like, you know, you could go home and you could walk across. The heather was so thick, you could walk across it. And she tells him, like, oh, you're headed home and you're about to be able to walk across all of that. You'll be fine. And she's also this very, like, logical person. Like, she wouldn't just lie. But I think... Um, we could probably do a whole episode about like how Feyre and Claire from Outlander <laughs> compare. Um, but the whole thing is both of these women have seen trauma and they know that sometimes um, I'm going to use a, a quote from, from Blood Nash, the dignity in death mm. is sending someone away comfortably and not scared so that they can kind of find that place again. And I love that she did that right here. Right. And you kind of wonder if that's sort of, almost what she did with her mom as well. Like her mom's asking her this one last thing. And maybe even when she made the promise, she didn't think she could keep it, but then that's what she held on to. Guilt makes you do a lot. This is what you want to hear. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I told you guys I was thinking about resand a lot while I was reading the section. Who wouldn't? <laughs> so um, I was thinking about Feyre and her thinking so low about herself, her self esteem, thinking like, I've never been lovely a day in my life. And, you know, I couldn't believe that the High Lord of Spring thought I was worthy to save or whatever. And I was realizing as I was looking up this stuff about, you know, was resand dreaming about Amarantha torturing Feyre and all this stuff, I was finding that Resand and Tamlin at the same time are seeing Feyre with a completely different perspective than Feyre is able to see herself. And I just thought it was an interesting parallel. So she, Feyre, thinks so low of herself and she is so bitter and resentful about her circumstances and her life experience so far. But at the same time, Tamlin is seeing her human heart and seeing her strength and her beauty of character through these struggles and through these hard times. And he's seeing how it's made her this strong woman that she isn't really seeing in herself. And Resand is seeing these visions and having these dreams of this, this human woman that he does not know who she is, doesn't know where she is, whatever. But he tells Feyre later on that he treasures those small glimpses into her life because for him it was a sign that somewhere somebody was experiencing peace. And he says like, you know, if somebody had enough peace to paint flowers on a dresser like that, that made me feel hopeful that everything was going to be okay. Even though I was with Amarantha. Right. And so these exact same circumstances that Feyre is so angry about and that she considers so shameful and so, you know, things that make her insignificant, these two men who come to love her, both of them come to love her, they see the exact same things with a completely different perspective that she's not able to see in herself. And I think that both of them are are seeing them more clearly than she can see herself at this point. Even Reese, who doesn't even know who she is. Right. Yet, right. And I just thought that was a really interesting parallel. Isn't that the bitch of self-esteem? I know. Right. Everybody else can see what you're worth, but you to. can't. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, Resand helps her, I think more than Tamlin does to see herself for who she really is and to come into her own and to kind of take control of her life and, and embrace the power that she has. Well, yeah. Cause Tamlin continuously wants her to be the person he wants her to be yeah. and not who she is because he really likes this person that he starts to glimpse. Right. But right. he's like, this is perfect because she can handle her own shit and she can make her way in her, my court as long as she still stays in this box over here. And again, that goes back to Tamlin's complete lack of knowing what it is to be in a relationship. Right. Well, and he loses With anybody. He, he sees Feyre for who she is right now in this first book, but as she grows and changes, he does not recognize that she's growing and changing. Right. Right. Like right. he, he, he wants her to stay where she is. Yes. He well, continues. He thinks she's doing her. something wrong. Right. Yeah. Like, I know you are this person that is who you were, you know, several right. months ago before under the mountain, before all these traumatic events, like just be that person. Right. Cause trauma doesn't change you. You're right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You stay the same. Of yeah. course. But you know, like I said at the beginning of this episode, Tamlin, I'm not like a fan of Tamlin, but he does have some, whatever <laughs> he does have some good qualities. And he is a, he is an extremely important part of Farah's life in bringing her to, 
you know, become who she eventually becomes. And I just, I just like with Nesta, like, I just think it's important to look at all aspects of him, even though there's a lot of crap, there's a lot of junk and, you know, next section. Ultimately he's a wanker, but ultimately he's a wanker. Yeah. Well, and I'm just going to go ahead and say that you said the word junk and I had trouble laughing. Speaking of wankers. Did you guys have anything else that we haven't talked? We've talked about a lot. We have really. Un- <laughs> I told you I had so much we to say. We tore apart I'm these so, chapters. I'm so sorry. I had so many notes. But Maybe from now on we'll do two chapters. <laughs> <laughs> Next time is two, only two Here's chapters. Here's the thing, so though. Fun. Like, the people that listen to this podcast love this stuff. So we're not going to apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Um, okay, well, that that was a lot, and I I'm I'm not sorry that I had so many thoughts about such a dense and wonderful part of the book. Uh, but let's go to our nerdiest things of the week. Who wants to go first? I can go. Go ahead, Deb. If I can find my notes. Okay. So um, this week. The company that owns Mad Schofield's um, page overlays, which Whitney already has, um, had posted that they were going to put this book's page overlays back on sale at a certain time. Well, I don't understand time zones and got on super early <laughs> and <laughs> bought a quart, the page overlays for a quart of Mist and Fury, which I was super duper they excited about. They are so good. Oh, my God. They are so good. And those are the ones I've wanted like forever anyway. Yeah. Well, then I realized I couldn't understand time zones. So I, <laughs> I emailed them and asked them what time and they told me. So I went and got uh, a quart of Thorns and Roses page overlays too. <laughs> Which then makes me wonder, when will the Wind and Ruin page overlays be out? Because I know that Mad Schofield is working on them and she's yeah. going to sell them independently, which I definitely, as an artist, stand by her choice to do that. And I'm so glad that she's going to do that. So maybe by the time this this releases, we'll know more. I don't think I've seen... I know she's working on them. Yeah, she's working on it, but I don't think she said like a target date or anything. So, and then um, I always have our nerdiest cocktail, which this week, there was a lot of references to blood. You know, Tamlin disembowels a Naga Feyre clotheslines one, which I just think is hilarious. (laughs) Has nothing to do with blood. But she definitely stabs one in the neck. The the blue lesser Fey is his blood is so intense it's dripping on the floor at her feet and puddling at her feet. So I made a drink called the Bloody Dracula, which was posted on the Instagram page yesterday. So go and check it out. It was really, really delicious. If you can't tell by how giggly we got. (laughs) We definitely drank an entire pitcher. Don't tell our secrets. <laughs> if you drink an entire pitcher, you might think this is funny too. <laughs> Mindy, do you want to go too? Sure. So my my week was so busy and I was like, gosh, what did I do that was nerdy this week? Because like, I felt like I, did, I was just floating through the week. But then I realized as someone who works in a library, which everyone knows, I think I pointed that out in an earlier episode. Um, this week was book fair week. Nice. And you all, I can't even tell you how nerdy I get when it comes to book fair. Like even still, like it always reminds me of back when I went to book fairs and like, I even bring up like, like right now, like the kids will bring up these posters and they're like nice and cardboard. And I'm like, do you want me to roll up your poster? And I'm like, when I was, at, <laughs> I feel like such an old person back in my day. <laughs> we didn't even have 
paper. <laughs> we did. We did have posters. The posters were like folded up and they were like eight and a half by 11 size. Oh, and then yeah. you unfold them and they had these big creases. But like, I definitely had the hang in there kitty. Like, I totally remember having that. I had the bad hair day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that one too. But yeah, I just, I geek out over book fair and, and our, the ones we do at the school where I work are amazing. She just really goes all out. And this year or this we do two. So this one in this fall, the they have like a table usually set up for, it's usually like novels for adults, like not not like porn or anything, but <laughs> that's <pretty> bad. <laughs> it's not like an adult novel, but I know, right? Like I wish, like why don't they bring Agatar into the book fair? Or the Scarlet Sanctuary. <laughs> like, can you imagine walking in right? and being like, yes, finally. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I think they might have realized that maybe they're they're bringing too many adult things in there because this time all we got were cookbooks and like art books. But I'm totally geeking out over there's this like sticker people mosaic like, book and I'm like definitely going to buy it. People that like art books typically also don't have a lot of cookbooks i know it's like mindy you might be the one exception to that rule that has a cookbook and and art books for sure yeah i'm like sure i'm like i have a lot of art books but if you ask me to cook here's the thing i'm a great cook horrible baker we've talked about this a million times but you know with scholastic book fair i expect with the spring one to get a scratch and sniff pencil i'm very offended that i'm sitting here without a chocolate scented (laughs) pencil well, we don't have chocolate scented pencils. I do have a chocolate calculator. It's going on for another week. Would you like a chocolate calculator? Yes. <laughs> they really do have cute pens. I think my though. panties just fell off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to carve Reese into it. <laughs> the chocolate calculator. Yeah. No, then I'm going to want it to eat me. <laughs> At first, I thought you meant you were going to carve Reese into her panties. <laughs> So it would just be like, sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this tracks. He's like, I got to see your panties. I don't care. Uh, well, my nerdiest thing is with my brother, actually. He I just, thought you were going to say, with my panties. <laughs> no. He just moved into a new apartment with his girlfriend in Texas and um, sent pictures of their setup, basically, to me and my sister. And my sister and I both like zeroed in on this piece of art hanging on the wall and my sister's like is that Frida Kahlo and I'm like yes it does look like Frida Kahlo it looks like a variation of this Frida Kahlo painting and like we went on this whole tangent about like what this art was and it was definitely this and it was a variation on this and my brother was like I don't know (laughs) and I said in the text thread I was like this is going to be my nerdiest thing on the podcast this weekend (laughs) because we just took this like hey, check out my new place from my brother. And are like, let's discuss the art that's on the wall. That your brother doesn't even know what yeah, it is. Yeah, he's like, I'm that, it go was ahead. his girlfriend's. And yeah, we were like, ask that. her, ask her. And he, we were right. It was Frida Kahlo. And so we felt vindicated by that. So, that's my nerdies. Well, and also I read three books in like the past 48 hours. Which ones? Um, I read My Summer Darlings for our little book club that we do for our group. Mindy just had a negative response to that. I liked it. Um, I liked it too. It's good, dirty, soap opera fun. Yeah, I liked it. It was a good like poolside read kind of book. Um, I read the, I cannot remember what it's called, but it's the Touch of Darkness book from but like the whole novel from Hades perspective oh yeah which I know you didn't really like but I really liked it and then there's two of them did you just read the first one I just started the second one okay before I left to come over here actually um and then the third one that I read was the one you told me about the battle of 
uh, King of Battle and Blood. Oh God! Uh, by the same author as The Touch of Darkness. Oh books, yeah, that so. when this comes out, that second book will be coming out in like a month. I know. Is that the one that I looked at and I was like? Did they just totally rip off from Blood and Ashes cover? No, I can see why you would it think does, that because there's yeah, there's it's very similar. There are, the there is um like blood red leaves and actually in my review I said it reminds me of a lot of from Blood and Ash, yeah. but that actually has a lot to do with the lore around vampirism, not because of like the story. Well, itself, I didn't read yeah. the book. I just when I looked at the cover, I was like, um, man, that looks familiar. You should read the book. I definitely will. Yeah. It's really good. It's good. good. Yeah, really, really I'm good. I'm a fan. I can't wait until the next one comes out. <laughs> All right, we had a lot to say about these chapters. Um, so next week, we're actually not going to have a regular episode. We're going to have a special bonus episode where we're going to be talking about Jennifer L. Armentrout's A Light in the Flame, which is the second book in her Flesh and Fire series. So that's also going to be spoiler heavy across the whole Blood and Ash book series. So just be aware of that. Whitney, tell them how we are preparing for this podcast episode. <laughs> With a PowerPoint? <laughs> no. Oh, I yeah. can't have you getting food poisoning again. No, I'm talking I'm not about do that again. our reading party. Oh, yeah. We're going to get a night at a hotel and basically sit and read. I told my son about that today. And he said, that sounds really weird. And I was like, well, maybe it is. <laughs> well, <laughs> but we like it. Well, so. <laughs> uh, well, little boy Weaver, that's why you're not invited. <laughs> yeah. that's what, and then, then he said, can I come? I was like, no. no. So my daughter, who is twice the age of your son, said that tonight. She goes, can I come? And I looked at her and I said, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no way. <laughs> you may not. So we'll see you then. Bye. 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 For exclusive content and to keep up with all things nerdy, follow us on Instagram at Our Nerdiest Thing. We post book reviews, what to read next, and our cocktail recipes. Have something nerdy that you'd like to share? Email us at OurNerdiestThing at gmail.com. This podcast is edited and produced by The Story Guides. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.